Welcome to the Classical Voice Training Podcast, the home of tips, tricks, and techniques. I'm James Platt, and I'll be your guide to the weird and wonderful world of classical voice. Join me every Tuesday for interviews, exercises, training tips, and much, much more. Today I'm going to be talking to my friend and colleague, Michael Pugh. Mike is a vocal coach, repetiteur and concert pianist. We're going to be talking about the role of the singer and the collaborative pianist, effective vocal coaching, using technology for musical collaboration during the COVID-19 lockdown and everything in between. Welcome, Mike. Do you want to talk, should we have a chat about institutions generally and what's happening with exams? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Certainly from the piano world, the associated board stuff has been quite interesting in that there was, there was quite a lot of delay on the response. People are worried about booking in and actually going into the exam room and that kind of thing. So are they still holding live exams then? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think the social board are for sure. And I know at Guildhall that the final recitals, the option was given to the candidates that they could defer if they wanted to until mm. September, until a much later date and do it potentially live. Now that we know that um, probably not going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. We've still been coaching online um, mm. on Zoom, and they come in and do a truncated session to start off with the thirty minutes. This is very intense work, really. And now that's for me, that's extended to as the workload has increased, I've ended up to up to two hours, really, an hour. Mm. An hour. Yeah. A lot of it will be discussion on programming, for example, how to put a program, and then the actual coaching itself. Uh, and it, I find it very valuable, actually. I think they find it very valuable, at least to have, um, certainly in the lockdown, to have someone to talk to on a weekly basis was, you know, very holistic. In the beginning, I was very conscious that I had to be incredibly organized more than anything, certainly to do prep for them, to make sure that they had scores, that we had the IPA, that we had translations, that we had poetic translations, as many as possible to get the sort of rolling library, as I call it, was quite interesting. Online and, and digital. Get that, yeah. That, yeah, get that digitized. <clears throat> and in the beginning, that took a long time, a long time of my day, certainly digitizing all the stuff, that all the resources that I had. Mm. And they had a very good um, set, certainly from, from Guildhall, that, where they had to produce PDFs for me and various other things. But mm. then my computer knowledge is not so fabulous, so... It was all there, but I couldn't get it mm. down. So I had to learn and update very quickly, mm. uh, which was great. And the actual coaching itself is brings me to the whole full point of being uh, um, diagnosing sound, really, having a diagnostic skill. And I think that's really vital if you're a coach. Everyone in my history, when I first joined an institution, said, you know, don't coach technically. That's the teacher's domain. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, as long as they're getting some technical input, um, if I can be controversial, I don't think a lot of teachers give technical input very well. They use imagery or they use um, other other ways to diagnose the sound, really, rather than the instrument and what the instrument's using. And I swore that when I became a vocal coach or chose to have that career path, um, as one of the strands of my career, really, mm. uh, that I wanted to be the best vocal coach I could. So part of my training at Guildhall, there, 
was a wonderful point where I had to do a, a fellowship for the higher education academy. Part of that made me really look at my um, own internal studio and what I actually was doing more than anything else. It was a sort of self-reflective moment, which was brilliant. And part and parcel of that was I came across the Kurt Adler book on the art of coaching, which is very old. Yes. But it kind of gave back the idea that um, that the coach was like a co-driver in a rally car, and I quite liked that. Mm. Uh, in that the you know the <laughs> the driver of the rally car goes into the pit and, and the bonnet goes up and in goes the singing teacher mm-hmm. and they work the, the mechanism and then the coach sits basically on the right side walking you round I guess the um, circuit yeah making Teach, sure that you, you know how to drive the circuit yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to drive the circuit so that you don't fall off the road basically well, absolutely uh, or that you don't go up the hill in first gear yeah and there was a wonderful part of that book where it really sparked my imagination because it said you don't necessarily need to understand the technique of whoever you're playing for, whether it's a violinist or a singer mm. or, or a trombonist for all that matter. But it does help to know what's going on underneath the bonnet mm. so that then you're not going to beg them to go up the hill in first gear mm. so that you can actually, you know, say, look, there's a big corner coming up. I suggest you use the steering wheel and turn it. Yes. <laughs> Um, to be fake. So you, it, part of the, the learning process, I guess, of being a technical vocal coach is using language, mm. ultimately, as in finding the language that speaks to them, mm. as in the, the student. If you've got a similar language as to what they're getting from their teacher, they'll understand what you're, what you're aiming at. Because ultimately, singers have to trust your ears as much as they trust their own. Absolutely. I think that's really where a classy coach can come in. If if the trust between what they're producing and what they're internally hearing is what they're used to, I guess their trust in you is is phenomenal. Mm. And that's ultimately the game. The game, I think. Yeah. And what would you say that um, a coach's skill set? is different to a singing teacher's? Where, where are your prime responsibilities? Uh, our prime responsibility is a language more than yeah. anything else, an interpretation, I guess. And also having the history, particularly in opera, of, of the traditions that yeah. go on operatically. So you need to, you know, you need to, yeah, you need a good book of cadenzas, for example. You need to know reach side out. Knowing how um, the music goes. Knowing how yeah. music, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also what the traditions are, particularly the difference for me between song and, and opera is text, ultimately. Mm. And, and the, the dominance of text, mm. particularly in bel canto, is trying then to find um, emotive expression within a text where the text is repeated 59 million times. Mm. Mm. And it's probably very limited in, in, in textual development. So the voice can... can can flourish in an area where the text is minimal. That is a challenge within itself, and that's how I then discovered that composers essentially use primal instinct mm. in, in compositional process, and that's the bit that's the most important. You know, what are you trying to say in the cadenza? How do you feel? Why is it there? All those sort of general questions. I mean, to take an obvious example of somebody like Verdi, um, yeah, it's all there, isn't it? The way he uses articulation. Oh, it's all in the back. Yeah. You just need to know how to decode it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but you need to know how to decode that vocally for the student in collaboration with a singing teacher, essentially. That's it. That's yeah. it, exactly. And and knowing when to stand back, really, 
yeah. in the in the process of what I called well, what um, a great singing teacher called Jan Chapman calls Stimbildung, mm. where they're building the voice. So as as coaches, it's really easy to tinker with the final product idea, mm-hmm. and it's much safer to be in collaboration with a, a singing teacher where you know that they're they're working on a very specific area of their voice. So to leave it alone for later. Yes, because that might actually technically come in um, of its own volition. So you have to very cleverly, technically, uh, as, as a techie coach, knowing See. exactly what is important and what is at this time not quite so important. So you're aware of the big technical journey that the singer may be on, but also aware of when you can zoom in to particular aspects where you That's can right. really use your expertise and help the singer develop. Yeah, that's the one. Sorry, I'm not being very articulate, but that's not exactly. Oh no, very articulate. <laughs> it's, it's hard to put it into words, but yeah, it's no, it's choosing your time to be very specific about hopping in and and sort of welding one a technical idea to a musical idea that they can then bank in the memory. Yes. Um, and in that kinesthetic feeling, and, and hope that then that will get banked the next time they visually see it, that they'll have a toolkit that they can unleash. Mm. I guess they're artistry through. I mean, I've always found the idea that technique and artistry and the idea that they're somehow split down the middle with the singing teacher responsible for one and the coach for another, ridiculous. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was the, the, the barrier that I found in institutions that I found very difficult. Yes. Because um, you have to get, I think it's a, a coach's responsibility in an institution, surely, to work out what language the, the, the um, student is, is using or being taught. And if you can go in with a, a common language, then that that's fantastic. Mm. Um, as long as the student understands ultimately why they're doing it, of course. I think there there are lots of um, uh, that sort of go down a tick box list of they need to do this, needs to be able to demonstrate this, needs to be able to demonstrate this, needs to be able to demonstrate that, and you'll find that at the end of a six month period, the student doesn't have a clue because it's it's basically been adding bolting on uh, lovely icing onto a cake that's not fully baked mm. and then the icing doesn't stick no foundation. so as a coach you're in a really um challenging area of trying to build the cake and the icing off them at the same time yeah and making sure that the is strong enough and you can only do that i guess by experimentation so it has to be a very safe zone to work in, James. That's that's the thing that I've I've learned more than anything else. Uh, singers learn the the best in in, in, a, in safe zones, in a safe creative zone, and in institutions in particular. Sometimes the coach's um, studio is the only place where they feel that they're not going to get told no. Yes, where they can experiment freely. Where they can really freely, imaginatively experiment, and I love that. Absolutely. And then it's using the time to bolt things down when they when they appear so yeah. it's it's i think the real true art of being a, a great vocal coach is, is held in a diagnostic and knowing when mm. to intervene and when to leave it alone yes absolutely and obviously the closer your relationship is with a singing teacher the more aware of the singer's technical development the more you can yeah. tailor that experience yeah. for your you, the people you're coaching yeah yeah. People are often surprised when they say, oh, you still play for, for singing teachers. I'm like, yeah, I bolt my right hip to a singing teacher pretty much, <laughs> because, especially if they're a great one. Absolutely. Um, because that's where you learn the most. On, on You see it actually appear before your eyes, and 
it's not that you learn the tricks and the, and the wings and the bells, you actually start to understand physically how it's put together. Mm. And I think a singer is, is, is unique in a way because you can't actually see the instrument you're playing, mm. which is, I think, incredible. Which is, so they need an extra set of ears, and those ears are coaches' ears, essentially. Absolutely. And I think you must find, James, in your own career path that you have specific coaches that you connect to for specific repertoire or specific tasks. Absolutely. But, um, well, it's interesting because I had a, been on various young artist programs, uh, having a huge amount of input from a huge amount of people. And the more experienced I've become, the smaller the pool of people I can. That's right. No, <laughs> I agree with that. Care. <laughs> I'd agree. I'd agree with that, and and I think it's uh, important in the coach's life to realise that it's a long life learning process. It's not mm. something that you have all the answers to and you stop learning. I think mm. it's everyone can teach you something about something, even if it's about the music, um, and that I really, really. Know. So it's a two way flow. It's not a kind of piano dominant. I have the answers to everything. Um, I, I know something I wanted to talk to you about, Mike. What do you think about the American term of a of collaborative pianist, which is yes. entering into the British <laughs> lexicon of terms? I love collaborative pianist, and I hate the word pianist. It makes you sound like a handbag. <laughs> <laughs> I did a, a recent Facebook Live for, yeah, I, I guess it, it comes out of a, a very specific period um uh, uh, it reminds me of sort of 1900 and Downton Abbey when you're an accompanist you know you get Absolutely. I've often been introduced as the, and this is my accompanist as opposed to anyone else so you're someone's property um that's just my own personal personal view collaborative piano I love the idea of, of collaboration and um I was reading for this Facebook live thing about how Gerald Moore says we're not followers we are right up the front of the face of the coal face with the singer Absolutely. You know, on the production of the artistry. Co-creators. Um, Co-creators. So collaboration is the buzzword, of course, in education at the moment. So collaboration, I think, is, is where it, it really is, is at in any studio, really. And that's the thing that, as a coach, you're really aware of, that whether a singing teacher would like to collaborate with you or not. Mm. Not everyone is as free and open as, as we would assume they would be. And so it's quite difficult to coach someone who has a closed door policy um in their studio I find that. and there are many singing teachers that do have a closed door policy aren't there well, there are yeah it's more common than you, than you than you would think really so therefore you have to think on your feet and you have to be diagnostic yourself not necessarily with vocal production but certainly with how they're playing their instrument more than which is the same thing really yeah. um and then it's you know, I've had great teachers say to me, oh, just concentrate on the vowels or just concentrate on the articulation or just concentrate. Well, of course, you can do that. That's absolutely fine. But how do you do that when you don't have a deep technical knowledge of they're actually or being told to produce that? I mean, I'm now at the stage where I can diagnose pretty much instantly what they, which technique they're using and why they're using it. So you, you then choose whether to you know, play devil's advocate and throw a ball right in the center of it or whether you help the student and ultimately it's about helping the student it's not it's their choice who they study with it's not your responsibility to point out that unless of course they're heading towards a nodule at the rate of knots of 
um, then I think it is a, a responsibility of a coach to flag up because that there is a, problem, a vocal problem. So, you know, maybe you ought to go and see and knowing when to refer. Exactly. It's a holistic approach, really. It's making sure I'm very student led and student centered as a coach. It's important to me that it's not about me. It's not about the single leader. It really ultimately is about them and their career path. And, well, uh, and neuroscience and, and motor learning theory is all leading us towards the idea that allowing them to set their own agenda, making, you know, allowing them to understand what, what they need gives quicker motor learning. Yeah, exactly. And, and it also means that they drive the car better themselves, ultimately, if you go back to the... Um, it means they're, they're aware of, of how they're playing their instrument. I mean, there's a wonderful quote from Diana Harris, I think, which is, you can play the violin upside down if you want to, it's just harder. Mm. Um, I use a lot of, of, of imagery with, with singers about how they play their instrument. Um, and I think uh, it makes them question sometimes exactly what they're doing. And you, you find out very quickly as a coach, those that knows exactly what they're doing technically and those who don't, mm. um, or those who would like to explore it, let's put yeah. it that way. Um, and, uh, and that's very freeing as, yeah. as, as a coach um, to have a good break. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, you've had such a varied career as a, as a solo pianist, as a repetitor for opera companies, and as mm -hmm. a collaborative pianist. What would you say are the, the takeaways for, for pianists that are playing for singers in maybe opera, as opposed to uh, playing the piano as a solo um, pianist? Yeah, I mean, it is um, very tricky. I remember being asked once in a recital whether you would do the usual, what I call 1925 thing of, will you play a solo piece um, in the middle of the recital just to give me a break? Yes. And of course, you glibly say, yeah, sure, that's fine. So you're, you're traveling on being an accompanist, being an accompanist, and then suddenly you're you have to play a piece of, of list. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it's it's not it's a complete gear change really. It's exactly the same music, it's exactly the same piano, it's exactly the same colour. Discipline, yeah. It's just about who is driving the car ultimately. Mm. When you when you're an accompanist, somebody else is driving the car. You're at the front. So I often say to the singers, you know, I'll give you the steering wheel, I'll do the um the pedals, mm. you know, I'll change gear. In other words, keep half an ear on me and, and listen, and then then we swap over. Mm. Um, and there are lots of eminent um, accompanists out there who like to drive the car, I feel, a little too much. Mm -hmm. Certainly as a solo pianist, you have to drive the car right up the front. You're right on front of Titanic, as yes. far as I'm concerned. And when you certainly when you work with um, in, in concertos, so you have to make it very clear and have long discussion often with the conductor about exactly what you're going to do. So, so it doesn't fall apart. Um, and that part of the process I really like. So learning how to rehearse really mm. was what I can take from a solo piano context with an orchestra mm. to then to offering to a singer what a conductor might ask you to do mm. um, at this point with, with an orchestra is very valuable as a coach. So that experience of, of being both sides of the, of the frame working with conductors as a repetitor where you sit back and the conductor has obviously the final say and the artistic control mm. um, and you're just a sort of means to to an orchestra and then the orchestra finally comes in and plays it can be quite frustrating 
Mm. But it actually teaches you the nuts and bolts of how to play the opera properly. It's a very specific skill. Mm. Uh, whereas when you're at the front as a solo pianist, you can pull as much rubato as you like because, you know, you don't have to necessarily follow the conductor. The conductor has to follow you. So it just depends on who's up front. And as an accompanist and being collaborative, the important thing is that the rehearsal that you yeah. discuss who's gonna, you know, who's leading what, what we're doing, when we're coming in. Blah, blah, Handing blah. the baton over. Handing okay. the baton Exactly. So it's, it's a sort of, even though the piano is the same, you wear three different caps. It's yeah. the three different emphases. And I, that's the thing I really love about my job is that it's not just stuck in one area. Having a portfolio career is, is really exciting, but very challenging because you've got to change your caps very quickly. Mm. Um, and that can have a toll on the body. It can have a toll on, on the emotive thing, certainly for me. And, and certainly the memory um, issues are hilarious because you'll be playing off music visually for a lot of the, the time you play with singers and certainly in an op band. Um, and then suddenly you, you, you have to play a, you know, a full 40-minute concert from memory mm. um, that you maybe played, if I'm honest, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you have to get it back again. So you have back to up. dredge it back up <laughs> and get that muscle back out and give it a good workout. Absolutely. Uh, takes time. And I think uh, as I've got older, it's, it's taking longer. Mm. I mean, to put it back in. so it becomes more scary. More scary, absolutely. Well, and the pressures mm. for all of us, the, the higher you go in the career, the pressures are higher, the expectations are higher. That's right. And, and everyone, you know, wants, a, wants you to put out the best that you can possibly put out. Absolutely. Um, and psychologically, I know that good enough is good enough. Good enough on that That's where day, I've got to, with I the think, voice you've got, with the instrument I think lots got. of people that um, chase perfection. Yeah. And perfection is unattainable mm. on a constant mm. I mean, we were talking about um, the term collaborative yeah. pianist. One of the, the advice I certainly give to singers for their final recital is, you know, this is you at 12 o'clock on Wednesday the 14th. Yeah. A snapshot in time. I mean, yeah. I was just thinking of another term that I actually love because I think it marks utter respect is this term repetiteur. Um, because I yeah. think that the repetiteurs are some of the most skilled musicians in the industry. Um, oh, completely. And yeah. totally underrated for for the job that they do. I think Massively people think underrated. They, yeah. And they just sit there and, and play orchestrally. I mean, to play a full yeah. orchestra and to be able to read it more than anything else off, off the cuff, which a lot of repetitors can do, is a real. They are the unsung heroes in an opera house for sure. Absolutely. For me. Well, they, and also. They hold they, the whole. Of, Sorry, just, I was just going to. Sorry, Mike. I was just going to say that they also speak the language and sing in all the parts, and you know, the, to but, have that and know inside out. One of the great things that, again, in the in the Kurt Adler book, or someone t- once told me, mm. I think it was the, when I had to research the history of coaching. Yes, was that coaches were invented in a way they came in in, in an invention as a right hand to the composer. Mm. So, if a composer wrote an opera where he needed you know, a chorus of 500,000 mm. and was rehearsing the soloists at the same time to get the opera in, the coach came in to rehearse the chorus. Now, you have to have the same, exactly the same skill set as the composer to get that piece up and running. Yes. And I think repetitors know an opera back to front. It's a bit like sitting in an opera orchestra. They're exactly the same. You know, how many times have they played Rose and Cavalier in their life? Absolutely. Um, and how many times has the conductor conducted it? 
they know instantly how good a conductor is and a repetitor will know instantly how good they are, whether they fit the, the, the shoe of the role whether the role is, and i think that the, the actual role of repetitor it is long unsung yes i mean I a lot of very famous rep repetitors um I've met and been and collaborated with in my life have opened key doors for me for you, in, 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 an, in, in a knowledge-based sense. Yes. In that, you know, even going back to the very first one was Robert Dean, actually, at Scottish Opera, mm -hmm. when he was conductor there. And, you know, he said, it just, it's, it's beautiful, Mike, but it just doesn't sound like a bassoon. Can you make it sound like a bassoon? Mm -hmm. And then you need real piano skill. And imagination. And I think that's where the sound... Everyone thinks of repetitors as being note bashers and playing too hard thumping and and yeah you, you need to have and subtext you know you yes. need to have the thing you need to know why they're saying what they're saying and why the composer wrote the gap for four bars and not six bars i think a lot of people underestimate that when they when they learn an opera certainly as a young repetitor they don't really know um why it's there so I guess that's one skill that I then bring back from dredge up from solo piano in particular, where we don't have that, um, is a compositional style knowledge. Mm. What 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 is that composer thinking? Why is it there? Why is it in that key? Why is you know it at that? And then you suddenly come to a song and you think, wow, it's exactly the same. It's the same inspiration, the same key, it's the same idea, same and it's being used in this song. And now we've got text that's linked to that and that, that is yeah is the wonderful thing where you, you you then learn to express the harmony through the text mm. and that's a skill that uh, that all musicians i think um are, are aware of certainly and i think accompanists use it all the time mm. and i mean also i mean going into the concert hall um some of these great collaborative pianists transpose at sight i mean yeah, yeah, I've had. Yeah, I played quite recently for the for the Veronica Dunn competition, and there was a singer there who said to me, "God, I feel really rough today," mm. and we were about to walk out for the semi final. And so I said, "Well, well how, how rough do you feel?" Yes. Uh, and how and bad she said, is it? <laughs> can you? T I'm used to taking it down tone. Can you take it down tone? And, and I said this lit yes as we walk out onto the stage. So. You have to have, and that was a very stressful moment where I suddenly thought, I cannot clank wrong notes. In a coaching, you can clank as many wrong notes as you like, really, mm. to try and find transpositional stuff. Mm. But I have a colleague at Guildhall um, who is phenomenal at this, absolutely phenomenal. She can score, read, handle, and take it down a third at the same time. Mm. And that's a real skill. Mm. Um, again, that's terribly underrated, but of course, as soon as singers find out that you can do it, especially counter tennis, for example, mm. um, who want everything at the rock pitch. Yes. I'm suddenly very, very fluent to F flat major and C flat major. Yeah, keys that <laughs> you would never normally see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, not very often. Uh, or D sharp major. Um, you, yeah, you, you suddenly have to have all that kind of background skill. And, and certainly from solo piano, the way that I was taught so kind of certainly in in when i said in moscow that was that we would run all the etudes that we were learning in all the keys so you'd have to learn them all the way up and all the way down so i have a very strong sense of, of um keyboard harmony yeah. i think what i call the old you, to a certain extent you get to learn stylistic 
yeah that's right yeah the, the real proper the real proper ones are, are the ones that you need to develop and they're certainly in institutions the ones that are sometimes glossed over because it takes years to develop harmony I, counterpoint orchestration yeah score reading exactly. transposition yeah yeah viola clef uh yeah. old soprano clef you know you, yeah. you, you soprano you, and tenor clef Indle handle aria with where suddenly the singer's not singing the notes you think they are mm. um can be quite confusing but it is I think very challenging and to keep that running professionally and keep the job running at the same time is a real challenge. But I, it's part of the reason why I do it. I absolutely love that kind of geeky world that we live in, mm. that where we learn and read books about the old school stuff. Yeah, they said we're, we're linking past to present all the time, aren't we, with these performance yeah. traditions? Yeah. And, and the, if you can find someone who was there, who, who sat on the right hand of God, mm. as I call it, um, I mean, I had a wonderful experience once with Paul Hamburger, who very kindly took me through a set of Strauss songs that I was playing abysmally at the time. Um, and we got to the third by Schlappengain, and, and he said, you do realise um, that this is about blah, blah, blah. And he went on to explain what it was about. And then I said, Paul, how, did, how does one get to this knowledge base? And he said, well, it's quite simple. You know, Strauss took me to the zoo. Uh, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought amazing at ten. Yeah. Strauss had walked around Vienna Zoo, and I thought, wow, does it, you, you don't know who has contact with who, and who was making all. It was just a mind blowing experience. And to never forget as well when Janice said that she was part of the first Ben Britain tour that went to Russia, and Shostakovich showed her around the Moscow Conservatory. I mean, it's like talk about it straight from the horse's mouth. Absolutely. Um, and I said, you know, Jen, what were the gems that Britain? gave you and she said well he you know when i asked him he just said just do what's on the score mm. that's all you need to do Janice. do what's on the score yeah and so we're, we're linking around it's how you read the score and how you how you diagnose it really yeah. how you get it off the page and into a live performance that's the real art of being coached. so a singer comes to you mike and they have to learn a new piece whether it's a, a, an operatic role or a song what do you do um, if it's a song, I, I send them in the direction of the foot text, mm. text, 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 text. Uh, they have to have a word-by-word -word translation, almost vowel-by-vowel -vowel IPA. Mm -hmm. um, then it will be about finding someone in the native language Yes. Um, to speak it onto a tape for them, preferably not a singer to start off with. So they can get uh, the inflections of the spoken so word. Yeah, and then we work on, then I take that, and I don't go anywhere near the voice to start off with, I take that to a compositional process level mm. where I ask them where the stresses in the language are. Mm. Uh, and then we find that in the composition of the song. And then we find out how Debussy used them or didn't use them. Stravinsky, for example, purposely writes against the text rhythm sometimes. In yeah. Rake's Progress, for example, it's all over the place. You just think, God, that's bad setting. But he did it on purpose. Sometimes it's to do with the comedy. Sometimes it's to do with the actual compositional process. For the, in the world of opera, I basically look at, again, text and subtext more importantly, really. Where, and you have to contextualize it all. You know, where are you in the opera? Where is the, what's gone on before? Where, what does this, is this an aria that moves the drama along? Mm. Or is it a commentary on something that's happened previously? Is it reinforcing that drama? Is it something new 
Is it something an audience desperately needs to understand, particularly in a handle opera, you know, which can go on for four hours? Yeah, where, where are we, is the character being? Is this are you going to get cut essentially? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, then it's going to be a, so you you build a character arc and yeah. and then it's about working the recitative, for example. That's where all the gems live. There's a very specific way of working recit. And then the aria itself is actually quite easy to sing, in my experience, until you get up to the verismo. And then you really need to talk technique for me. And you really need to talk about um, language use within a specific tessitura, for example. And then you really do need to understand vocal technique about vowel modification, maybe, or how they use their voice. Um, And to maybe... The old trick that I was taught, certainly way, way, way back, was that, you know, don't ask for text in passaggio. Don't ask for text above the, above the stave, um, particularly in soprano voices. Uh, ask for text on the stave. <laughs> if, it's in the, if it's in the lower middle of their voice or if it's in the middle of the area which, you know, then text is important. I mean, obviously, the whole thing is important. But text is slightly less important, not to say vowel definition, but slightly less important towards the top end, where we suddenly get taken over by the sound of the voice. And there was the wonderful coach that um, advice that I got through Yvonne Kenny, actually, from Janine Rais, who said there are four or five areas or elements in an aria where we need to specifically direct the audience to and one is there's a moment of text, there's one of great drama, and there's one of great voice. Um, and if you get all three of those running and have chosen the areas where an audience will feel happy, will feel yes. that they, like, they've been sustained. So it's knowing the priority of where and when and how and what you're looking at within the grand art. Um, and the first thing to understand that is, I think, vital, because if they're searching for text on a top C sharp, they're not going to be yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're going to get into trouble basically thing um and so it's just knowing where and when and how as a coach to be very directive and very helpful i I just think it's about helping you can offer these what i call gems we all stand on the shoulders of giants to offer the gems it's about whether the singer feels safe and comfortable enough to try it or trusts you enough in front of a very famous conductor to give it a whirl Mm. I suppose um, and it, I was just going to say it's also talking about process again and where they are in their process because a very yes. experienced singer might be able to give really good text definition on a top B flat. That's right. An undergraduate, say, might be just pulling the different components together to make a, a decent sound on that note. And by sending them yeah. text, it might actually send them backwards in their technical development for that. That's right. Time, and, and, yeah. and I guess I'm working on a, a sort of conservatoire level uh, a lot of time where where i'm uh really conscious that i need to be giving good technical advice really through what i say rather than um actually giving the advice more than that's just just being making sure that i'm not pulling them in one direction and somebody else is pulling them in another that we're all hopefully pulling in the same direction together and having a, a sort of technical knowledge of what the voice is doing means that you avoid making blunders and i personally didn't want to be that coach where uh, you know a famous singer comes back and says god 10 years ago you gave me that piece of advice you know that was utter bullshit 
that wasn't really very helpful. Absolutely. I, so I, I started my coach with that in mind. I didn't want anyone to come back saying it was all your fault that I didn't get the job at Glyndebourne because the <laughs> blah 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 blah. Um, not as though singers particularly do that, but I just, for my own peace of mind, wanted to know, <laughs> wanted to have that as a sort of background. And I and then I got very interested in in the whole um, technical gamut of what goes on inside the voice. And I have science A-levels, so I, I became slightly medically obsessed with the voice for a while, which was fantastic. Um, and it taught me, it's still teaching me, I'm still learning in, the, in that whole process about unraveling what exactly goes on in, in a singer's mind, in, in their larynx, in their body, in their emotional setup. It's not only about the larynx, it's really about what my ears are telling me, outside the singer's progress um you know they are human beings after all how are they human human yes. humanly coping i can't express my words but how are they yeah how are they you know they're a full holistic human being they're not just a singer yeah. and that can have a, a knock-on effect into how they sing and i i think being a coach is having all that bundled into one um, bag. It can be a sort of messy spaghetti mix, really, but it's pulling out the, the strands and making sure that you're maybe highlighting something that in the future um, will go on to help them develop. So, um, Mike's uh, been our main repetitor, collaborative pianist on our classical voice training courses for many years now. Um, how did you find your first experience of those courses and was it different to what you were used to in terms oh, of it's my fault. yeah no it was yeah certainly um yeah no I, I i i loved it because it blew my mind really it was it was one of those it was what i the way expected music college to be when i went to music college i had this sort of rather romantic idea that everybody was going to be sitting, you know, reading Proust, smoking cigarettes and drinking <laughs> coffee and having lovely philosophical conversations about Beethoven. Absolutely. Um, and that never happened. But the, <laughs> the beautiful thing about a CBT course is we all the same language. So I was able to um, meet people who were right at the front of their profession, certainly in, in the people that you got in, James, people like, you know, having a conversation with Jacob Lieberman, mm. um, Sue Jones, or... Physio Ed, mm. uh, you know, all those sort of people that you can just casually ask that one kernel of a question that's been bugging the shit out of you for, for a while. long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can actually go and ask them directly. And the great thing about CBT is that it's um, a learning process where people can ask questions openly. They're not yeah. challenging people's knowledge base because it's no. sort of evidence teaching. So it's just about getting the evidence. And I loved it, and and I got a hell of a lot out of it. And I think. Um, the beauty of it was, was it, it put coaches and teachers and singers and everybody else on a very equal level. Yes. Because um, one of the experiences that I have on other courses is that the accompanist is, you know, the accompanist is the handbag and will be dragged along. You know, you will stand three feet away from me and carry my music. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got will, that you, kind you of connotation in it. While the singing um, and therefore less. you're open to learning nothing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you, 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 you're you know and a commodity like a karaoke machine in a way. Yes. Whereas the great thing about about CBT was it gave me a voice. 
I finally got a voice to to ask questions from my end just to make sure that I wasn't you know lumbering off down a B road somewhere when I should have been on the motorway. Well, I, it, I, I remember Janice Chapman, my singing teacher, saying to me early on, you know, it takes a whole village to build a singer, to build an yeah. operatic singer. And when we set up classical voice training initially, what was at the back of my mind is let's bring that village together. Yeah. Let's all talk and let's all have a multidisciplinary approach to this really quite complex thing that we do and see mm -hmm. what happens. And of course, friendships have been made. And I think we've all had a fabulous time every every course. And singers mm -hmm. and teachers have got a lot out of it. And it gives them access to these people that may work in London or abroad that they wouldn't normally see um, yeah. all in one room, which hardly ever happens. No, and, and, and also it happens in sort of drips and drabs, I guess, through your career in that you're only, you know, you would only ever see physio ed if you had a problem or you would only ever meet Jacob if you went for a manipulation or you, and it's, and I think the beauty of it was, was having, you know, Tom Harris being able to talk to him. Tom's like the vocal I mean, grandfather, isn't he, with a voice for yeah. book and an incredible yeah. well of knowledge. <laughs> incredible well and and you know there's there's ron and there's janice and then there was a, a huge sort of plethora of people i mean we're talking about getting the giants in the same room yes that was that's the beauty of it really and and you probably would never experience that unless you were at a conference a very specific at local national voice conference yeah absolutely um, and to get access to them as a pianist and particularly a collaborative pianist is very difficult because mm -hmm. you have to know you have to kind of go through a altos I, I presume or a, a conference to, to get there mm -hmm. um and it was no it, it was i think truly life-changing really in that it it was amazing to see the the common questions that people had mm -hmm. and then the sort of more specific um, training questions that they'd been through in their own training careers to 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 nail down, and the, the beauty of it all was that uh, everybody had they could follow the the um, the discussion. Mm. It's probably worth saying as well that normally when you go to a voice conference, you might meet meet some of these people in the canteen, but the conference is about them delivering knowledge. Um, yes. Whereas this, this classical voice training courses are about training, so we had all mm. these people there, but we're all learning, singing, practicing together with yeah. all these different inputs. I mean, yeah. When would a, a collaborative coach, for example, ever get to see an ultrasound of the TA? Of the abdominal wall, absolutely. You know, never. When would you ever actually get to see someone scoped? Yes. You know, you, we, we we're all very good at telling, well, hopefully we're all quite good at a diagnosing when someone's got a you know a polyp or something wrong with their vocal cord, but to actually see it or get Nick Gibbons to discuss it was was incredible, and to actually hear what it sounded like when the voice is dysfunctional is the, was for me one of the really valuable things because okay. I, you would do, obviously refer you know you yes. wouldn't of course yeah, go pair it yourself in your own studio and have a go, <laughs> but <laughs> but it takes the um it takes the mystery away or the fear away as well of what of these situations because most singers in mm. the professional life will come across some sort of difficulty yeah. and i think hopefully the people that have been on our courses will know that the support network is there and hopefully know who they need in that support network to get them back to full health as soon as possible 
Yeah, com completely. And I think being a supportive um, technical coach yeah. uh, is, is reassuring a singer that, you know, this is a very normal path going into the, the pit and having the bonnet lifted and finding a fan valve that doesn't work so you replace it yeah. is part and parcel of being the wear and tear of the singer, really. And I think most people are terrified of, of oh my God, that means it's the end of my career. It means that, you know, I can't sing anymore. Um, and, and I guess it's about um, just human, human being human and, and reassuring them that this is, you know, essentially very normal and you go and see this guy and he will do this and he will talk to you about this and it's, you know, you won't be the first and you certainly won't be the last. Absolutely. And and maybe you ought to have a look at technically what you're doing that may have caused it. And I think it, it's a very dodgy area laying blame. Mm. Um, but often technique is the, is the cause in, in my limited, very limited experience. Um, and so therefore, there are certain teachers who... Um, I find challenging and there are certain teachers that I absolutely adore mm. and I think as a coach it's about knowing how to to work in a stream where I personally choose who I work with because mm. I don't see the point in challenging a student's belief system every time they come to me mm. um, when I don't technically agree or physically agree that that's the right approach to the board mm. but that's just me. It's the situation we're in at the moment where we've had a huge burgeoning of voice science and discovery over the past few decades um and there are many singing teachers and voice trainers who've grabbed it with both hands and ran with it and and there are still singing teachers who are completely unaware yeah, or willfully ignorant of many of the developments Tricky. Yeah, I'd, 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 I totally agree with that. And in my young career, I was a bit of a doubting Thomas. I remember mm. meeting Mary Hammond very early on mm. and having a real, you know, open discussion in a corridor about, um, and now totally converted, you know, seeing the light, as it were. Uh, and, and it's not until you really see it in action, I think, and mm. um, that's the thing that coaches really need to see. I think a lot of coaches don't ever really see it. You mean functional but voice it, training, right? Yeah, voice. yeah. Uh, um, sorry, uh, appear before their very eyes. And that yeah. was the thing, you know, you go and play for singing teachers as a student pretty much all the time. I had a sort of dual band system that was running in my career. I had my solo career. Mm. which started very soon, very early. Yes. Um, uh, and then... How do you sustain that? So I, I always loved working with singers, and I always loved working collaboratively because it's just my personality type. Mm. Um, and I, so I would play for a lot of singing teachers, and you know they would suggest various things, and the sounds would either change or they wouldn't. Mm. And what I've learned about the, the wonderful approaches that we've got going now is that it, the results can be immediate; they do not have to be. Seven years of what I call, yeah, of, of, yeah, yeah. to get your arbel right. I yeah. think it, you know, it, and that was the sort of certainly the musical background of collaborative piano that I grew up in. Yes, was that you know don't work with singers because they are substandard musicians, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and I, and yet one of the 
rarest life was, was is playing for great singers when they launch a fantastic phrase and it's just like the whole heavens open mm. that, that feeling i think when you're playing with a with a really world-class singer cannot be beaten at the piano. Mm. Um, there are there are various similarities for me with playing piano concertos playing rap and things like that which is wonderful but cool. it's a very similar kind of visceral experience for me um, and I think gone are the days of, you know, singers are substandard musicians because they're now seeing inside and how to play their instrument. So they're not holding the violin upside down anymore. They've suddenly got a Stradivarius. Mm. And it's one of my great things that I like to feed back to singers is that, you know, you have a gold-plated larynx. Go and learn how to play it properly. Mm. You know, go and invest the time because there are people out there that can show you how to do it. Yeah. And I think I, I I love my job, and I absolutely love that I'm part parcel of this massive neuroscience explosion that's going on at the moment. And I'm really enjoying um, reading the science of it because it's that part it put that part of my life back into my musical life as well. Mm. So thank you, James Not and Janice Not and everyone else at CBT. Thank you for giving me a voice. <laughs> Thank you for coming and, and collaborating with us for all these years. It's been a real pleasure. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is let's, it's the sort of, uh, the pink elephant in the room is COVID-19. And obviously with the suspension of live performances, um, yeah. how are you operating as a coach? How are you continuing your work in these times? Uh, well, for me, oddly enough, very little has changed. I'm, I'm still reasonably busy. I, I work over Zoom or House Party or the apps, the, the sort of plethora of apps. Basically, it's with technology, um, just like we're talking now. Um, the problem that we all experience, of course, is that we've learned a few new words, I guess, one of which is latency. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Trying to get things yeah. to line up. Exactly. The other, the other is overdubbing, yeah. um, and all the recording stuff that's that's going on. As you know, James, we've been in discussion about that recently. Yeah. Um, about audio interfacing, about trying to find a way in which you can play at the same time as a singer can sing. Ultimately, the way that I'm doing it at the moment is I'm providing um, sing-along karaoke, but only after the coaching session. Before, yes. So they come in and they have sessions. So I was like, I know roughly what I can provide for their artistic intent of what they want to do with, with the song or the aria. And, and to be a support, a crux support, so they can actually sing at home. Because I, I, what I don't particularly believe in is, is that, you know, oh, we'll stop until we get it right. You know, I, I don't want to say, no, I think you should be singing pretty much every day or every other day if you can. Mm. Um, and I... So they come in basically for, for a Zoom session, and the problems we have are generally technological more than anything else. Yeah. I don't play along, and then I basically I give them a, the note of the phrase or the harmony or the chord structure mm. first, so they listen to that, and then they sing their line, and we work forensically, just as forensically as they would if they were in a, a room with me on a piano really For real. and the beauty yeah, yeah the beauty of being i guess what i'm what i'm aiming to get to is the diagnostic skill is still the same it's just that the, the medium that we're using it has changed yes so you know i i think it's it's brilliant really 
Mm. The thing I've noticed certainly as a, being a vocal coach on, on COVID-19 is I play the piano a lot less. Of course. Which is fantastic. So that it means my, my brain is, is working continually to work out whether their expression and whether the language is working and, and technically, really, yeah. vocally, technically, it's easier to diagnose exactly what's going on. And the intensity of the work is, is very intense, so therefore it's often shorter and shorter bursts. Yeah. So they come regularly, um, more often in a way. And it also means uh, that I get to see international clients a lot more than I ever used to before because I don't have to fly to Berlin or to Denmark or to, to see the, people. Um, just to see, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, I, yesterday I was in discussion about giving a piano lesson to a guy that I've never met in Hong Kong. Mm. Well, that, that's not a problem now, really. Um, so the, those, those are the benefits. The downsides, of course, is that you can't actually see what's going on on the body very well. Uh, I have to ask people to turn. Stand some, back. Stand back, yeah, because <laughs> I can see exactly what's going on. You can't get hands-on too well, but you can get them to get hands-on and, and feedback exactly what they're using, uh, muscular-wise, I mean. Yeah, yeah, if, they've, if you, um, they've got tight jaws or if they, they, yeah, if, they can feedback. To you by their hands, yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly, one of the things that I find quite um, technically interesting is is um, in how how language bounces the waistband, James. That's what I'm really interested in, um, uh, and whether their consonants are supported or not, and whether they're supported properly by the right things rather than the wrong things. So when Mike is quite about easy. He's talking about um, Janice Chapman's diamond of support system and, and she thinks about it as a diamond and the waistband is the size of the diamond and that's these layers of muscle that we use to support the airflow. Um, so take it from there, Mike. So what are you seeing? At the, yeah, so they're, they're basically they're not, uh, they're not supporting the sound on their jaw, which is often what happens, or their, their gastrum, that they're, they're actually then supposed to be supporting. So if the waistband is bouncing, it just means the airflow is not flowing properly. For not me. consistent, and yeah. Not consistent, and it's often consonant-led. So if they're bouncing consonants, then they're not on their support properly. And that's one thing that I'm, I'm really conscious, certainly if you're going to coach uh, over this, that you don't, don't replace one monster with another. Mm. That they're not singing just to the microphone or they're not singing just to two feet, you know, to the, their computer. The artifice the, of the equipment. Yeah, yeah. the artifice is making them sound fantastic. So, because in my experience, um, coaches who know how to, to um, coach in a big room are coaching for a stage. They're not coaching for the side room. Um, and that's one of the challenges. So the one thing I do know is when the voice is lined up properly, my microphone starts buzzing. So that's a good feedback. <laughs> um, and, and when they're not, it doesn't. Yeah. So uh, it's very easy from that point of view. But yeah, it's, it's been a challenge. It's been very frustrating at times. Um, and we've had to change our whole outlook. But diagnostic skills have been really, really beneficial because that bit hasn't changed. No. And I think we still diagnose with our ears um ultimately your ears will tell you what's going on in a in with a singer and you can do a lot of the background stuff that apart from the singing um certainly as a coach in the preparation the language pressure you use this time is what i've told my singers to to do all those things that you never felt that you could get around to so if you've never learned russian now's the time mm. if you've never learned swahili now's the time, now's the time to do it absolutely um, if you, you have a question 
now's the time to get, you know, whilst the, the world has stopped for all intents and purposes, you know, stop the song, I want to get off, we'll get off and, and get back on again with the knowledge that you needed, that you didn't maybe have time in your hectic life before to do. Mm. Fill oh. in the gap. <laughs> yeah, mind the gap. Um, we've had lots of conversations <laughs> recently about technology, haven't we? Trying to deliver yeah. the best ex experience of, during online singing lessons, online coachings. Um, we should, could have a talk, talk about that a little bit. I mean, we found that um, a high quality microphone and a high quality audio interface is important. Sure. Yeah, haven't we? And also, yeah. Wi Fi is not great. No, it's basically it needs to the computer needs to be wired through an Ethernet cable. If you can, it will increase the the quality of the data, I think, and stability. Yeah. Um, certainly, I I coach on an iPad rather than a computer because the um, microphone on it quality is much better than my computer microphone. Mm -hmm. um, the audio content on that is not great, um, so therefore I've used apps more. Which brings us to the question of which apps are, are very useful in COVID-19. Well, sometimes when a singer is on their own, they feel very, very isolated. I mean, we all feel incredibly isolated, but singers feel particularly isolated. Um, and part of the feedback mechanism of being a coach can be you know, distorted if they haven't had a coaching for a month, six weeks, and suddenly they're not back on the horse. Yeah. So part, using apps, um, in particular is, is part of the, the support process that I give to my singers. There's a wonderful metronome app called the LE. Oh, God. Let me look it up on my phone. Um, but it's a guitar tuner, and I'm where I'm going from it for is people often say to me, is that in tune? Um, well, actually, if you sing it into this um, app, it will tell you whether you're in the ballpark at least yes. or whether you're a semitone flat yes. um, um, and then well as we know we've got technical ways around getting that right and that's often to do with a, a myriad of things which we won't go into now but um, and therefore you can check and diagnose straight off the back of that and make a singer feel instantly relieved that they you know they've not lost their voice or they've not got the hole in the middle of their voice or suddenly that you know they're losing the will to live as i call it um this uh wonderful app also has a really really loud metronome on it which so when i we do language coaching i put the metronome on at the speed at which the language works mm -hmm. and i get them to click it at their end so i coach with them to their end synthesis yeah. rather than my end metronome which i also use the metronome yeah, using my end with the light because I describe latency as being. Oops, see that. Absolutely. I, I describe latency as being like thunder and lightning. We, you know, we, we we see the lightning and then we hear the thunderclap. Yeah. Well, if you can see my my metronome you stand, light. Yeah, you you stand a good chance of being in time. Absolutely. With with me this end, and we've had I've had great success with using house. Uh, party app where I've had that literally beeping on my body here and I've been playing along to the singer's sound but they've been initiating to the light yeah so it's it's a sort of three-way nightmare um, that works for about the first two phrases and then the third phrase the data backs up and it's complete disaster so uh, we <laughs> 
we we abandoned ship we bailed out on that one quite on that quite one quickly. absolutely um i mean we've been talking the the, uh, the big digital solutions and there are digital solutions are things like soundjack i know that the ian howell in america has been doing lots of studies on on this um the problem is that you need to invest in proper technology so you do need an audio interface you ideally need a flatline microphone research microphones are very good so that the microphone doesn't alter the signal and as mike said you need yes. um, a wired ethernet connection um so i think the longer this goes on the more singers and teachers will update technology um because obviously both ends need the same tech for it to work so it'd be interesting to see how yeah. it develops yeah and i think there is a worldwide crave for for music in real time yes um and if we can crack that then it will make lockdown a little bit more bearable i guess absolutely um, it also means that you can do you can run courses effectively and you can presumably do public performance absolutely it would open up a whole um realm, whole yeah of, of possibilities wouldn't it yeah and so you know the, the typical sort of updating thing is you have to now get a degree in sound engineering <laughs> and you know <laughs> which is brilliant but the university of youtube as i call it yes. uh, is my savior at the moment um in in isolation and in lockdown so i i actually feel quite buoyant personally in that i'm using my brain a lot more i've got a lot of freedom of time to develop um what i want to develop and what how how to move this thing forward really to stay on the front end yes rather than um be lazy and wait for someone else to invent it really yes. it's actually quite exciting to be right up the front and um of, of what i perceive it to be and to keep um the business afloat more than anything else Absolutely. so as i don't have to um give up the job that i love and we're all all in the same boat, aren't we? All, everybody yeah. involved in live performance at the moment is in the yeah. same boat. It's uh, you know, it, I, it's decimated really. Yeah. The, the whole I, I think people underestimate who are non-musicians the um, the effect that it's had on our industry. I mean, it's literally wiped it out yeah, overnight. Completely. Wiped it out it's overnight. On, you know, they're watching a wonderful uh, um, uh, conversations on Facebook because um, the Facebook Live interviews. Uh, there was a wonderful lady talking about how she de developed going to the Met, and she found it quite difficult to think that the Met is now totally in dark. Mm, absolutely. But it had changed her life going to opera for 20 years, and suddenly that um, experience that she had would, could no longer be had by other people. It's not So it's not just the, the performing musicians, it's actually the audiences that need it too. Of course. It, yeah, that, that outlet is not there. After all, that's really, why we do it, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> that communication between audience and, and stage or audience and concert platform. Uh, and I think it really is a watch this space situation at the moment. I mean, yeah. the answer is nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows how long stages and concert halls will remain dark. Um, as technology develops, we might be able to do more online. But actually, the essence of what we do is this communication between generally a live audience and the stage. and whilst recordings um, and videos can be a halfway house, um, it is a pale imitation of, of full live theatre. Yeah, yeah live. there's a wonderful uh, thing that I put on my Facebook of a, of a guy who I'd never met. He's an American theatre director. He said that we are storytellers and theatre will never die. 
because the thing that we're, we're experiencing at the moment is called film and that is a very specific genre within itself but it's not theater absolutely and you know he told the story about how he went to a greek city and he saw the amphitheater there and even 2500 years ago we're still doing the same thing so there is a human um oh, craze. human condition isn't it we yeah. need theater we need we need live yeah. storytelling we'll, it's just a kind of how do we get there yes you know practicality in the forest yeah in the dark and we need to get back out of it and how are we going to get out of it well we, you know we throw ourselves a rope and technology is the rope i think at the moment that we're the using moment. to get to get out of the dim and dark not do yeah how, how are you and so this, this interface doesn't sound jack sounds sounds fantastic yeah, I, absolutely that could be the solution um for the time being how are you finding the practicalities of this mike with uh, exams um what are people doing how are people sure talking in an um, certainly in, 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 in an institution they have to overdub, I think. They, they, so a pianist will play, um, they will rehearse just as normal, and then a pianist will provide an accompaniment and a singer will sing on top of that, and then they will submit that as a submission. And one of the apps that was given to me by the Collins, actually, was um, uh, an app called Four Times Camera, uh, and that's a video app where you record this is the one with the split screen, so you have a pianist to one side and then you have either the pianist or the singer with a microphone in their ear. That's because they're listening to the or overdubbing on top of uh, what's there. Uh, that came out in um, uh, Facebook very early on. People were, were learning the various throws of overdubbing. For camera, I think, is, is I've never actually used it yet. I'm using it this weekend, but it was given to me, like I said, by Dervler, and I think it's the video version. So uh, the split screen, you one side, then the other. Uh, you record yours, they overdub onto, onto theirs on video, and then you, you splice it together. From what I can see, it is possible early on, there was another demonstration by Jake on um, using Audacity to line up various recordings and then using a, um, a video, I think it was Da Vinci, where you then line up the recording with the video. And that's how people are doing those multiple videos of them playing yes. uh, the piece themselves. And have the students uh, been uh, expected to do this themselves if they submit digitally for their final? Yes. Yeah. I think there is a lot of support, certainly, at the institution that I teach at. There's an AV department where they will send out, and you can have constant contact, and they... Um, have suggested microphones, and I think in some cases they've even sent out microphones so that people can actually get it in. You have the choice to submit now, or you can submit in the future. So I've been doing a lot of yeah, yeah. Been doing um, a lot of uh, programming, particularly even if they are deferring, it's important that they get the final recital program in and checked, yes, uh, and planned and memorized. Um, so it's like life as normal. So yes. we're assuming, even with the, the, the um, candidates who are not, the students who are not submitting, that they're still doing the work, really. They're still getting through the process of, of what they're doing. So we, I'm using it with, with my students in particular to, to monitor their progress on the learning part of, of actually what's going on. So pro providing a video this week, can you you know sing onto video for me yes. this song so as we can see where it is and, and what it's like? And then we go back and have a discussion. So it's very useful from that point of view of, of 
targeting very specific things in in one second performance. But as we all know, in live performance, things change. Um, people have memory lapses. Uh, like you said, you know, you, that soprano who's sick cannot take her aria down a third. Um, it's got to be on the day, I guess. But there was an open discussion, I think, certainly amongst the senior staff about how many attempts they have you know how many edits are they allowed are they allowed to edit every vowel mm. um or does it have to be one straight through and i think in the profession if you buy um, an audition tape it cannot be edited mm. so i'm working on the preface even if there are they are allowed two or three edits or how many edits they're allowed um that it has to be a pure straight through because certainly with video for audition professionally you can't stop it it mm. can't be edited it has to go from A to B in one full swing. So that's the way that I've been taking it in that, you know, you will get asked in the future. I know, for example, that Britain Theatre School, sometimes they, you audition straight into a camera. They just record you. That's not a panellist. So you walk in, you sing the song to a camera and you leave. Um, whether that's still happening, I don't know. That was quite a few years ago. But um, it's, it's something that singers need to build into their repertoire and their gamut of what they need to do professionally anyway that they need to be able to cope with, with the technology and, and a lot of singers are also very good sound engineers mm. i know i know well you're one of them yeah. um uh yeah. jorge colorado is another one who i, I use uh, to record particular stuff with uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea, isn't it, that um, we always pride ourselves on being a live art form and that we don't sing with microphones in the opera or the concert hall, um, mm -hmm. that suddenly we, we might or students might be assessed on uh, their voices coming through an edited digital platform. That's right. I mean, there was the, it? Yeah, it's fascinating because yeah. the thing that when I read when I read um, the sort of information that was given out or the advice that was given out was it was very nice, it was very holistic and it said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've recorded it on your iPhone or whether you've paid £12,000 and gone into a studio to record it the quality will not be taken into consideration and I found that really quite challenging because I was like, well obviously it is how can you get a true voice sound without any quality? Yes, You, don't, you have no idea I mean, it's it, maybe it's fine for a piano, and maybe if they're all, you know, either they all have to do it on one system, you know, i.e., you have to use your phone. Yes. So it's just a level leveling field of of. Or I found it fascinating that the, yeah, that yeah. that was part of the remit. I think you know, how do you mark someone in a final recital who has produced something which is technically inaudible? Well, and what we do anyway, and the way that we're examined is so subjective. When it even when it's live in the room, introducing yes. technology into that and ascertaining who gets a first—it's it's a tricky. Uh, I'm glad I'm not examining uh, digital finals. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I'm sure institutions have their own way of, of coping with this, but I suspect that the the digital element of it would carry a huge amount of weightage whereas in a performance institution like the ones that we work in it is the weighted component yes. so how they're going to split it out i have no idea right but it, it's it's a technical challenge for sure um 
and we're just i mean basically i'm just carrying on and, and advising as normal and trying to use the technology as best as possible can and, and try and advice. yeah and, and use the you know if there's any breakthroughs i i generally announce it to all my students straight away so they can be on the front as well yeah absolutely so they're not sort of slanging around in the in the background producing something which is substandard you're going to do them a disservice in their final yeah. yeah yeah and after four years you know working at an incredibly intense level in, in our institution it's it's quite it would be a shame to miss a bracket between i don't know a merit and a distinction just because you don't have that facility available to you yeah to be able to record in a, in a, in a genuine way now i happen to know that my institution offers really high quality av um, options to students so that they can get that sorted so I'm not blaming the institution at all but I do think it offers um, an interesting discussion as to how we actually judge and, and who are we to judge you know are we do we would we know would I know for example the difference between a reverb sound and a plain sound and then obviously are they allowed to add as much reverb or as live you know can they can they use auto-tune, for example? <laughs> yeah. We won't go there, James. No, no, absolutely not. But uh, it's interesting, and I'm sure over the coming weeks and months, all these questions will be coming <laughs> up in more detail, won't they? <laughs> but, and then what about exams, Mike? Associated board exams, that sort of aspect. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think as, as the, in a way, yeah. Yeah. I think that there was complete chaos. I'm, I'm more, the first thing I joined when I, when this um, terrible virus hit us was the COVID musician worldwide um, group on Facebook. Yes. And one of the first things that came out about everything was how dangerous it was actually to work in the same room as the singer. So we all went online, blah, blah, blah. And then part of the um, process of, of working out exactly what to do next was about keeping in touch with everybody. Um, sorry, what was the question? I've, I've rambled no, off I was line. Ask about um, uh, exam boards, Mike, and um, oh, exam boards. Yeah, yeah, board. What's one of the things happening? Yeah, um, was the sort of came up with I'm on a, an, a a group called Tonebase, and and one of the discussions that we're asking them was about how exams have got cancelled, and you know what to do next, and how do we book in, and how do we get the results, and exams. I think. Um, even the associated board now, I think, are doing online exams. They're actually doing them online. Um, where, and there's a lot of big talk about submission, mm. um, about doing them live again. And do they, do they also need to submit, you know, audiovisual versions Stories, of it? Yeah. Yeah. And I find that excruciating for. I mean, I had a very inspired trip through the associated board system myself i just did two six and eight and i won a medal for eight yeah. um but i had a fantastic piano teacher who didn't put me in for every exam either but yeah. i have to say that experience of having the stress of going to an examiner's room was very valuable in my in my in my process whether i would feel the same sense of of achievement off just yeah, just recording it in my own living room and then sending it off and getting a certificate sent through the post. I'm not so sure. Mm, different situation, isn't it? 
it's a very different situation altogether. And the, the quality of the playing, obviously, can be determined, I, I would guess. Yes. Um, the problems come when, you know, let's talk about memory in particular. Yeah. What happens if a, a very young student in an associate board exam has a memory lapse? Well, obviously, that has to be taken into consideration. But you wouldn't be aware of that on a recorded one because yeah. they probably wouldn't send in the recorded one with a memory lapse in it. Yeah. So therefore, you can tell roughly whether a kid is hanging on by his fingernails to his memory or not. Yeah. Um, will that child now get five more marks than it deserves? Yeah. Or, I don't know. I honestly, you know, I find it absolutely fascinating. It's not about pointing systems that I do know. It's, yeah. it's, broad. it's about, you know, choosing a musical talent really and putting it in a box but it would be fascinating actually to sit in on the decision making processes of all this and how it actually goes on i personally don't know mm. what i would do but i do know that all i've got to trust are my eyes and my ears yes and that that's all i use when i'm in a room with someone but how i think it opens up the possibility for people to be deviant with it really that's what i'm worried about you know how do you know that that's the actual kid playing that instrument especially if we get really good at divorcing video from audio mm. is, you it, know, is, is that could it be the mother playing the piano with the kid lining you know? up with the recording yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know I, we're I mean, just, just, just going to rely on the people's but, honesty and goodwill i suppose haven't we but very different conditions to oh, yeah. of an exam room or a... But I, I think it leaves it open to discussion. Yes. It's going to be a very, very, very interesting time. Yeah, or your own living room. I mean, even talking mm. microphones, James, back mm. to the sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, how do you mic your own living room so that it sounds like the Wigmore Hall? Well, you can do it. That's I what mean, I'm thinking. You can I mean, actually... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about the microphone conversation is obviously generally microphones have an inherent bias so they will they might boost a bit of the high spectrum they might cut a bit of the low spectrum off now if you're a bass you don't necessarily want your low spectrum cut off if you're a soprano singing a high c you definitely don't want your high spectrum yeah. cut off so the voices in the yeah. middle might get along better with the equipment it's a really interesting and are we then going to say that we're only going to use research microphones exactly. that are completely flat for examinations? Or are you allowed to pick the microphone that mm -hmm. makes your your voice sound the best? It's a, a real... And then do you have the money to yeah. for it? Um, very interesting. That's right. How do you get it? But so the advice that Svanholm were giving out on, online, which is I watched the Svanholm management thing because they had a whole talk on, on that, was that the road microphones were the best because they're, they're not very expensive. Mm. But they do. But then, it, it, you know, if you're like us and a bit geeky about it and want to keep looking, yeah. then you, you need to do. They need to be task specific, basically. Yeah, don't, absolutely. But it depends on your voice, so you need to know lots of things about. So I've been watching how to mic a piano, basically, which is horrendous from what I can work out. You know, yeah, yeah. twelve thousand ways to do it, yeah. um, and trying to do it um, effectively so that I don't spend eight thousand pounds on a microphone. Absolutely. Um, is is quite interesting because the, the world is, the sky's the limit when it comes to technology, technology. Of course. absolutely and of course if you've got really good taste orally mm. um 
you're, you're going to want something which costs fifty thousand pounds. <laughs> so how do you, you know, yeah. get a decent sound off the of what you've already got? Off, um, off, off a, off a probably a small budget because none of us are working and we haven't got income coming in. No, exactly. Money no, no for money. That's what so we need. Exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's got to be multitasking for me. Yeah. It's got to be something that I will use when we get back out into the real world as well. So investment. Uh, that's the way I've justified it to myself. Uh, and then it's a, yeah, then it's a considerable investment. But it's just, I think it's important that that to flag up about microphones exactly what you said that they are very task specific. So if you're soprano and you and you're using one with, it's going to cut out high resonance you're going to sound terrible um i probably also worth saying might uh, with, with opera singers, that can of, just be the microphone yeah and with opera singers a lot of uh, so do some research i guess it's yeah. the best thing and we've got bags of time to do that which i'm loving but that's what i'm doing yeah i'm using my time as effectively as i can i'm practicing piano which is for those people that know me not a rarity <laughs> absolutely yeah no it's um well, yeah, I would say do your research on the on the technology if you if you need to buy it because some microphones are not designed for opera singers because they're designed for singers to sing very up close and opera singers yeah. are very loud. So you've got to make sure that the microphone's going to accurately represent your voice. Um, I bought a, a as I know you have Mike a, an audience inter audio interface. I've got the ID fourteen, yeah. um, which is a great way because you can buy powered microphones which are often more sensitive plug them in via an xlr cable and that will usb straight into your laptop i'm using one of those microphones now i think the, the, it's a really good way to do it um if you don't want to invest in an audio interface you can buy a usb microphone that just plugs straight into the yeah. computer um so it's it really is worth doing your research i mean there are some microphones that won't work unless you have phantom power so if you have an SM58 or an SM57, for example, you're going to need an audio interface to power the microphone. Um, so it's, yeah, do your research, set a budget and stick to it, I think would be another thing I would say. Because, you, you know, yeah, how long is a piece of... And, and decide what how you're going to use it in a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You so, if you, you know, if you've got an iPad, get iPad-specific stuff. If you've got a Mac, get Mac-specific stuff. If you've got a laptop, you know, depends on guess what you're using and what, what is in, you've got in your studio. Yeah. What you want to do. And, and you don't have to pay for everything. It's important to say there are, you know, interfaces, uh, doors out there that are free. Yes, absolutely. You, know, you don't have to block out a, a huge amount of money. Use the free stuff. Yeah. If it's, you've got a Mac, it, it, you get GarageBand for free. You can edit edit things in that you know if you the, you know there are lots of um websites i mean what websites were, were we using mike we were using gear music gear what's the website tomans music tomans. music for, uh, gear for music gear for music that's Got the one yeah gear for music and tomans is what i knew mm. and again yeah, if you just google i mean i yeah. uh, School again the university well. yeah again um and, and basically, the great thing about Thomas and Gear for Music is they give you the School of YouTube. Yeah, they give you um, audio clips of it. I remember finding an in, a thing when I was wanting to look at the interfaces. You know, ten audio interfaces reviewed. Yes, that's so and what it sounds. You know, what they actually sound like. So you, you can, can actually choose. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. So that you can choose your own personal version of it. If type um, the name of it into YouTube and you'll probably get lots of videos of whatever microphone or equipment. There'll be people that have already reviewed it. So yeah. dip your toe into the water. <laughs> If you go toman.de, then if you choose your microphone, so you find your microphone, you go to that website to buy it, it will give you um, audio clips of it actually playing. Mm. So you can use a samba, a, a guitar often, uh, cymbals, wood blocks, so that you can actually think, is this one any good? You know, am oh, I about to bend? Or the piano, or yeah. yeah. Um, and, there's sort of, and then that's how I did it. I just went and listened to a few and thought, wow, that's amazing. And it's not price dependent yes it's independent you know you kind of go the first time i got on i thought i found something that was five thousand pounds and i thought yeah that's the one i want how much is that oh my god that's four thousand nine hundred ninety nine pounds i'm not buying that um and then i found one that was very close to it that was 36 pounds yeah and i thought wow why is that 36 is it my ears or so i tried the 36 quid one they arrived two days ago and they're fantastic for what i need and that's the thing, and we're not submitting recordings to the BBC. We just no, it's not George Gramophone yet, exactly. exactly. It's just something that lets us functionally get through this strange time of lockdown until we can get back to normal. And hopefully we'll have use for people once we do get back to normal for audition yeah. tapes or... Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, I'm constantly asked to provide what I call karaoke... Tracks for uh, singers. Tracks for singers, yeah. Um... And and so it will come in handy for that anyway. So it's not money that really, that in a way, that's that's badly spent. And for singers, it's it's vital because they could probably use it in their lesson even anyway. Yes. If it's a decent microphone. If you have a decent setup, yeah. Well, I mean, people can... If people to record their lesson with, I mean, you can, you know... Yeah. If yeah. people want to ask questions for future podcasts, I mean, it's going to be on everybody's mind, you know. Um, we can try and help if we can. I mean, we're not specialists. We're... we're voice geeks no. that enjoy yeah, yeah exactly. in the water um there's tons of stuff on the internet so just start looking i think yeah. if you're interested and ask don't be frightened to ask because i think everybody is in the same boat we're yeah. all you know we're all desperate to find a solution for this no matter where you are on the cultural level of uh, ladder of the profession it makes no difference no. nobody you know you, you either know this stuff or you don't so yeah. don't be frightened to ask and if you have any kind of gems pass them on really exactly. don't hold on to them there's lots of Facebook groups, as Mike was saying, uh, communities, voice geeks, our classical voice training Facebook group, our page, ask questions, open the conversation. Yeah, and and, and no question is too dumb. No, no stupid questions. Either. Yeah, because, I, you know, if you're starting out from scratch as I was on all this, you know, you need to ask to find out, and you get nowhere if you don't ask. It. That's well, that's been amazing, Mike. Thanks for joining. No, thank you, James. It was brilliant. Thank you very much for the no, opportunity. Pleasure, and, and I will. Um, no doubt, we'll be seeing you again. If, if not for another um, podcast, we'll be seeing you on our courses, where hopefully we'll yeah. have some technology set up to be able to some real live music making going on. But people watch this space. So. I'll look forward to it. I really look forward to it. I'll see you soon. Thanks very much. See you soon. Thanks, mate.